Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and we're looking at the first 18 verses, uh, 1 to 18. So that's, uh, that's our Bible reading today. Beck's going to bring us the reading. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would, would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Wonderful. Hebrews chapter 10, as we continue in our series on Hebrews. And we keep in this series looking back. We keep looking back to the old, looking forward to the new, because that is a good thing. It helps us to see how good the new is, how good everything is that we have in Jesus. And the title today uh, around Hebrews chapter 10 is The Perfect Sacrifice. The sacrifice that was once for all. Of course, we're talking about the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. That one perfect sacrifice that he undertook. That sacrifice on that cross for all time, for all people, for all sin. And that is a good thing. And when we think about it, there are all sorts of times when we feel a bit of guilt. Uh, we see it in children all the time, and that picture there sort of suggests that someone's been a little bit naughty, 
Uh, they've got the texture out and destroyed the leather couch. And uh, the child probably just says, oops. Uh, but then mum and dad come in. Uh, and then the weight of what has happened starts to take grip. And anyone who's had children or, or, or been with young, young children, you can see it in them, can't you? When they're guilty, their body language is just tells the story when the truth comes out. And sometimes children are pretty honest as well, which is good. But children want to move on. They don't want to stay in guilt, and the parents don't want to stay there either. We want to fix to the problem. We want there to be consequences. But we want to get on with life. We want that to be dealt with. We want that couch to be fixed and that stuff to be forgotten, those consequences to be realized, but for that guilt to go away. That's true of all of us. Because when we search our hearts and we look inside, sometimes we feel guilty. Sometimes we feel guilty for what we've said, what we've done, bad choices we've made, bad actions. Sometimes what we've done hurts other people. Sometimes we realize that what we've done has hurt God. And there is something inside us, we realize that there is something that is wrong before God. And it's a burden to carry around. At different times and in different days, it can hit us deep down inside us. And we say, oh, what have I done? Our conscience speaks to us and it's like, this is not how it should be. I've let you down, God. Our creator, the all-powerful one, we've let you down. What are we going to do with that guilt? What are we going to do? Maybe you've heard of this tale. It's from a while ago. I'm not even sure it's true, but it's a good story anyway. Um, Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle, the author of Sherlock's Home, those uh, detective novels, was a practical joker. One time he sent a telegram to 12 famous people in London whom he knew, and it read, Flee at once! All is discovered! Although all 12 men were upright citizens, they all quickly left the country. They fled. They were guilty. They knew that their actions weren't perfect. But I guess as when we think about our guilt before God, we think, well, is God going to punish me for now? Or what about in the future? And that's why, of course, we keep coming back to the cross. We come back to the fact, the good news, the best news of all times, of Jesus. And what we receive in Jesus. This is better than some free lunch with no strings attached. So much better. This is Jesus dying the ultimate sacrifice that once-for-all sacrifice in our place. Jesus deals perfectly with our sin on that cross. And that is good news when you look back to the old. We were talking a bit about this last week, about this tabernacle and this place of meeting. In the old system, and it was in our readings, people used to go and offer animals time after time at that altar in the front of the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle as it's called sometimes. People would offer day after day, animal after animal, so many sacrifices. And then there were annual reminders that kept coming up when special offerings would be made for all the people's sins, for the sins of the priests and the sins of the people. 
The priests were forever doing duties in that, in that place, forever standing up. And those annual reminders kept coming, a bit like our tax returns keep coming uh, every year, that reminder that there's things in our lives that, that, that keep coming up. But for them, it was about how they stood before God. And that reminder, nothing was being dealt with with the people's hearts because they kept feeling guilty and they kept having to offer sacrifices time and time again. But that's what Jesus steps into with this new way, this new sacrifice. And in Jesus, we see a different picture because Jesus came in perfect obedience. That's why in verse 7, it says, Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. All those sacrifices were being done because the people had hard hearts. They weren't doing God's will. Jesus comes with this new way and says, I have come to do your will, my God. Perfectly living out what God has asked of him. Jesus, perfect in every single action, every word he spoke, all for God's glory. Jesus was fulfilling it. And that led him all the way to the cross. Verse 12, But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus, our great high priest, as we've already seen, he offered that sacrifice for all time. All time means past, present, future. All time. Jesus obviously offered himself on that cross, his body, his blood, all of it, for our sins. And Jesus, of course, sat down at the right hand of the Father. We see this beautiful picture here that Jesus has paid it all in this sacrifice, paid completely for sin. And it is a finished work. Just think for, for a moment, if someone has worked hard and achieved and they fit some goals, quite often they will rest afterwards. They will get a seat and they will sit down. Just think about someone who's done a university course. They will sit down, ah, finished, and they get the degree. Or you've worked hard at the farm and you've got your produce or whatever and you sit down and you're like, ah, this is good. You rest. And that's why Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the Father. It's the contrast. The priest was standing. Jesus was sitting down accepted by God and all that he had done. That beautiful picture that it was finished. Jesus himself declared on the cross, it is finished. Jesus had been accepted. And, and this is a beautiful picture that what he has done is good. And Jesus is rewarded with the best possible reward, sitting down in heaven at the right hand of God. And then in verse 18, we see, and where these sins have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The beautiful victory of Jesus on the cross means that there are no further sacrifices required. And so that takes us to this image that we send out at Easter time on our cards uh, or in the, the handouts that we give at Easter time saying that the cross is love. What an act of love we see in the sacrifice of Jesus. This perfect sacrifice that was received by God in heaven and that is for us.
for us to be forgiven, us to be received by our Father in heaven. What a blessing. We believe in Jesus and we receive complete forgiveness. That guilt we were talking about before God is taken away by what Jesus has done. Because the other side of it is that Jesus has died for all. That once for all, yes, he died once, but it was for all people, for all sin, for all time, to set us free, to set us free from our sin and our guilty conscience. And that's why in verse 10, it says at the end there that that Jesus died, Jesus Christ, his sacrifice was made once for all. And there is a lot of repetition on this because in verse uh, chapter 9, verse 12, we saw a very similar thing. We see that through uh, the blood of, of Jesus, he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. There's repetition going on about this once for all sacrifice. And then in verse 14, in our reading, it says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who have been made holy. The one sacrifice of Jesus, he makes perfect forever. This is beautiful language when you think about it. Perfect in God's eyes are who? Those who believe. Through that one sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In one sense, we are perfect, but we are still being made holy. And that's something to remember. Uh, Those that follow Jesus, we're not perfect all the time. In the sense of sin, we're completely forgiven and yet we're still a work in progress as God is preparing us for heaven and for being with him. So it's like we are in God's family, but we're still a work in progress as he molds us and shapes us. It's a bit like a a child in someone's family. We welcome them in, uh, of course, children in our own family, but they're not perfect all the time. They're still a work in progress and we try to mold them. It's a lot like that with God. He sees us perfectly and quite often we will see our kids in the best possible light, but they're still a work in progress. Being made holy. But as chapter 10 continues, there's a warning. And that warning is, is for, towards Jewish Christians because some of these Jewish Christians Uh, believed but they were saying i just want to go back to the law of moses i've had enough of all this trouble associated with christianity and the persecution the troubles i just want to go back to the easy way the way that it was under moses but it's also a warning for all people who think about walking away from the faith because it says here quite strong words in hebrews 10 26 if we deliberately keep on sinning After we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. These are strong words, a warning to say, well, now that we've seen the goodness of Jesus, if we walk away from it and reject him, what's left? What is left if we turn away from the the way that God has provided for our sins? There is nothing left but judgment, a heavy judgment from God. No one wants to be before a righteous and holy God when we have, have sin in our lives. 
But the reality is, is that Jesus has paid for it all, so that shouldn't even be our desire. Our heart's desire should be to be thankful and to be completely for Jesus. Because the key point that comes up throughout this chapter of Hebrews 10 is that Jesus has done it once for all. There will never need to be another sacrifice because it has been done perfectly. What Jesus did on the cross was perfect in that one sacrifice for all time. It will never be repeated. It is done. It is finished. It has been accepted by God. That is beautiful when you think through what it has achieved because it is for all people, for all time. That is good news. Pain for every single sin. No sin is too great for the cross. Jesus is greater than any sin that we've committed. Sometimes we might feel extra guilty and say, oh, God will never forgive me for that one. But the reality is it's never too great for God. God will forgive when we come to him. That's the power of the cross. And when we believe this, when we get it into our heart, this needs to impact how we live. When we believe in faith that what Jesus has done, it needs to actually impact our daily lives. When we have faith, it means that our lives should look different now. When we follow Jesus, it's a different way of living. Because yes, we have that access to God through what Jesus has done. We have this great high priest. We have all these wonderful things that we've been talking about. But all of a sudden in Hebrews, it takes a change to say, well, there's all these wonderful concepts, but it needs to impact how we live. That's sort of that idea that we need to let it change who we are. And we can let that change us by, of course, by asking for God's help in prayer. Um, and we see what is asked of us in Hebrews chapter 10. And this is something to ask of our lives. This is true of us. It says that in, in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Is this you? Is this me? In our daily living, are we truly drawing near to God? We know how to draw near to God. We obviously, we pray, we open up His Word, we meet with other Christians. There are things that we do that we know are going to help. We, we deliberately meditate or stop and think about what God has said. We make Him central. We know how to draw near to God, but are we doing that? That's where all these this, this text, these nine or ten chapters beforehand have brought us to this place to urge us to draw near to God with a sincere and honest and open heart. Saying, God, I'm open to what you want to say to me. Change me. I believe I have that faith. I have that assurance. So, Lord, what would you have me do? Is that your life? Are you drawing near to God? And it continues to, to challenge us, not to be low rangers, but to actually meet with other Christians. In verse 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching is, of course, talking about the return of Jesus, when everything is going to be set right. But what are we to do to each other? Tell me, you can tell me, what does it say that we should do for one another? 
Encourage each other. That's right. Meet with each other. That's right. Support and pray. That's right. It's calling us to encourage each other towards love, towards good deeds. I'm glad you're at church today. It is good that you are here. It is good that every single person as we gather, they bring something. Even if it's if you come quietly and solemnly and you're just singing along to a song or doing something, it's still good to meet together. It's an encouragement that you are here. It's good to meet together and it doesn't even have to be a spoken word. But sometimes we might have words to encourage someone when we're at church or in a Christian group of some variety. Sometimes God might lead us to to use our gifts in some way in a community and that's a good thing. But it is good to meet together and God's word more than encourages us, it calls us to meet together. We should meet together with other Christians. It is a good thing. It's uplifting. I know this this saying as well, iron sharpens iron. When you get beside someone who's passionate about God, it inspires you to get passionate about God and that's a good thing. Because if we spend a lot of time about people who are talking negatively about God, it can pull us down, of course. But get near to someone who is passionate about God is a good thing. And that's why it's good to come to church amongst people who care greatly about the Lord's. And then, in verse 39, we're reminded again. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Just before this verse, it says that God takes no pleasure when we shrink back. When we turn away from the faith, when we take a step back, God doesn't delight in that. God doesn't delight when somehow in our heart or in our actions we deny Jesus. No, God likes it when we step forward. When we're like in our hearts, yes, I believe I'm going to live differently because of the promises of Jesus, because of what he's done on that cross. I'm going to live a different life. As we hold on to that faith, it means that we have a different life. It means that we have our focus on Jesus and it means that we have new desires now. Even if there's hardship, because part of the reminder in this passage is is that there are difficulties that come. Struggle, hard words. Uh, The idea is that we should endure through hardship. But ultimately, it will mean that we will be saved. As Jesus returns, we have this assurance of a forever glorious future in heaven. Jesus is coming back, and that's in the background. But in the meantime, our faith has to be lived out in what we say, what we do, what we think. It's about letting God work in our lives. So we are to change. We are to take our faith seriously and let it impact who we are. Let God change us. Through every season of life, through every difficulty, struggle, we keep trusting in God because we keep looking to this once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. I never grow tired of looking to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross because it is so good what he has accomplished. All sin for all time. For all people, and we're about to have communion in a moment. And, and we don't even need to talk anymore about what we're celebrating the elements because we've said it all. The cross 
speaks for itself in some ways. We look to the cross and we, we know what Jesus has done. His broken body and his blood that was spilt so that we could be completely forgiven. And for us who believe in Jesus, it means that out of that belief, it impacts so much of life, every part of life that we're seeking to honor God in. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you so much for all that you've done in Jesus. We thank you for the once for all sacrifice of Jesus who died in our place to take away our sins and we thank you that that work is finished. We thank you that we can honor Jesus now and we thank you that Jesus is in heaven and Lord help us to have hearts for a different life now. Not to be complacent, not to just shrink back but help us lord to live by faith to live in the truth to have a passion for your ways our lord god and we just praise you now in jesus name amen